Hey everyone, you're listening to Beyond the Benchmark, the EFG podcast. This is Mo Zafsal, the Global Chief Investment Officer for EFG. So uh, this is part two of the special podcast we had with uh, Nathan Furr, who is a, a member of the EFG Future Leaders Network. And um, and uh, you will talk or continue the thought process around uncertainty possibilities. So let's listen in. The next uh, tool is uh, priming, right? Um, how does one, they reframed, um, I think um, you know, the, the Brian Chesky case, the Airbnb case, I know, you know quite well because you know, he's, he came on, uh, obviously not this podcast, but he came on a few podcasts uh, to talk about that, that time, the action he took, um, decisive action, changed a few things. I got out some businesses that they could no longer... Uh, you know support given the pandemic and then reframe from being a company that everyone goes to maybe abroad but to a company that you will um uh, or the service that you use when you're staying at home just because you need to change your scenery rather than sitting in locked in a in a room in the city uh, and then changed or reframed to being uh, a, a company where you can work from <laughs> a, a different place you can work from and, and that certainly helped them get through that tough time and obviously they've been now you know very successful um, so once you've reframed and you start to to you know um, I, I like the analogy you use you 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 go from a very pessimistic outlook to being an optimistic outlook um, essentially and say right you you, you know you want to you want to kind of move forward and 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 win um, how do you then move from that frame of mind to the next tool, which is priming? So how, how, how does that kind of naturally evolve? Yeah. So, um, you know, priming is really about preparing in advance. It's uh, so that when you step into uncertainty or when it happens to you, you're ready. And um, there's many tools in there um, that, that help you do that. Um, one of my favorites comes out of a personal experience. So when I was doing my PhD at Stanford, I was in Silicon Valley and, you know, the heroes there aren't the nerdy professors like me, the entrepreneurs, you know, who create the world. And, and so I was really uh, kind of kicking myself. I was saying, you know, I, 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 I'm just too afraid to take the risk to be an entrepreneur. And, and there was this moment where it was really getting to me and I kind of spoke up to one of my mentors, Professor Tina Seelig, and, and she invited me to lunch and and said, so what are you worried about? And I said, well, you know, I just, I'm, I, I don't have the courage to be an entrepreneur. If I really was courageous, I would leave this PhD program and you know, jump off the cliff to be a, do a startup. And, but I just, I'm not a risk taker. She said, what do you mean you're not a risk taker? I said, yeah, I'm just too afraid to take the financial risk. And she said, well, do you really think there's only one kind of risk? And I said, well, what do you mean, Tina? She, she said, well, in my mind, there's, financial risk, there's intellectual risk, social risk, emotional risk, physical risk, political risk. We could go on, right? You seem to me like somebody who's willing to take, you know, a, a social risk, an intellectual risk. You, you know, you've got four kids, you're living in Silicon Valley on a PhD stipend, basically living off student loans. I'm kind of glad you're not willing to take a financial risk. And, and I really appreciated that because in that moment, I realized, oh my gosh, I'd chosen the right career because I could kind of tamp down my financial risk and I could 
then take social and intellectual risks. But, but she was really teaching a deeper and more important lesson for individuals and organizations, which is it's valuable to know your risk affinities in each category because, and your aversions. Because your aversions are the areas where you need to fortify a bit or you're going to misbehave or feel a lot of anxiety. And your affinities are the spaces where you can play your strengths. So again, for me being a professor, I could take a lot of intellectual and social risk. But my aversion, which is the financial risk, would, would be okay. Now, I learned another important lesson, though. So no, lesson number one is you're really knowing yourself and or knowing your organization. So I've worked, I've done this with organizations and they realize, you know, oh my gosh, our operational risk uh, aversion or our uh, financial risk aversion is actually holding us back. Um, because the second important lesson I learned from another mentor at Stanford, Professor Bob Sutton. And what he taught me is that you got to be careful that just because you have a risk aversion, you don't want it to hold you back from the things that are most important to you. So, for example, at the time, again, because I'm living off student loans, trying to save money, we would bring sandwiches from home to try to save a couple you know, bucks at lunch. And, and I'm sitting in class with this uh, professor, and he tells us about when he was a PhD student, he took out a loan for 30000 in today's dollars, the equivalent of 30000 to get his research done. And like the top of my head like blew off. I was like, what? Are you crazy? Why would? And he said, well, I knew that the most important thing for my goal, so think about whatever your goal is, and, but for his goal, it was getting a great job and keeping it. And to do that, I need good research, so why not put some money towards it? And, and what he taught me there was that, you know, it's really important to ask, is my aversion, uh, is it holding me back? And, and I'll give you a great example of this. One of the uh, interviews I enjoyed was with a gentleman who moved from a you know, career in innovation at, say, Philips and some other great companies to be a senior leader Amazon's expansion in the UK and Sonos when they expanded to Europe. And he said, what I learned is as I advanced in my career, I had to shift from trying to avoid risks to being comfortable taking them on. And, but I knew I struggled with that. So I asked myself, well, is there a way I could build my tolerance taking risks? And he said, you know, I was really afraid of, of, of physical risk. So I decided to take a kickboxing course to try to like challenge myself a bit. And he said, I took it and it's very physical, very confrontational sport. And it turned out it was really fun, but it also built my comfort taking risks in other areas. So like the decisions I was making with the organization, my comfort level with that. And so, so I would say, you know, number two, principle number two is don't let your aversions hold you back from what's most important to you. And number three is you can take small risks to build it up. And, and maybe one final example, one entrepreneur I really enjoyed uh, has done eight startups, but hate financial risk. So how do you be an entrepreneur and hate financial risk? Well, he, he, knowing that about himself, he always has a project, one project that's paying the bills and then he can do the side and i think that's a you know a great a great principle i guess obviously with that there is your own personal experiences right so i always think about you know myself in that examples the the, the examples that you just shared with us um you know you've had 
you know, if, if thinking about my own career, you know, had problems in 1998 in financial markets with the Russian crisis. You had 2000, a tech bubble bursting. You had global financial crisis. You had, you know, Eurozone crisis in 2011. You had, um, uh, you know, uh, emerging market crisis in, in, in 15 um, and obviously COVID. And so, so, so all of those, uh, you know, all of those learnings that you have from each period how does that kind of help you in in preparing for this crisis that we're in now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I've been talking a lot about how we uh, do this at an individual level, um, but you know, you bring up some great and important crises, right? And uh, one thing that you know we learned very clearly, for example, in like the dot com bubble, although a lot of startups blew up, some of the most important, most impactful startups were actually formed after the dot-com bubble during the crash. And, uh, you know, I've worked a little bit. I've sat on the investment committee of a seed fund. Uh, The best investments we made were also during the downturn uh, following the, you know, the Great Recession of 2008. And, And so, like, you know, often these things, times that you know, things are really rough, are times where unique opportunities emerge. And so how do we be prepared for that? And, you know, in a way, I would say the investment world, you might be more prepared for this than you realize. Uh, You know, so I I got to interview the gentleman who won the 2016 Nobel Prize in Chemistry, Ben Feringa. He he created this breakthrough um, called Molecular Machines. And uh, he he really, you know, I asked him, you know, did you face uncertainty on the way to uh, creating this huge breakthrough? He's like, it was all uncertainty. And uh, I said, well, how did you do it? How did you navigate it? How do you teach your students to do that? And he talked about how you always want to have two feet to stand on. You don't want to have only one really risky, uncertain project because you'll follow that too far to the end. And when you should cut loose or change course. And so he always encourages his students to have, you know, two projects, at least one more certain one and one more uncertain one. And, and, you know, those of you who are quick on your feet will instantly recognize this as, you know, options thinking, you know, uh, real options is a familiar concept in strategy and, and finance, but, but what we could call personal real options. And so when we think about how do we take on new things, uh, at an organizational or an individual level, that this applies. And so, you know, what I try to encourage people to do is to take on some, uh, you know, think about doing new things in their individual lives or their lives as leaders as an option. Like, let me try it on the side. You know, we know, by the way, from empirical research that hybrid entrepreneurs are the most successful. So these are entrepreneurs who keep their job while they try something new. Why are they the most successful? Because they have more time and less anxiety to get something right than folks who have kind of gone all in. And so that same principle applies, except for me, the real warning I took away from the interviews we did was too many of us are going all in on the very certain options in life and not making enough room for the uncertain options. So I guess what I would say is, you know, if you think about all these huge crises, I would say they always open up opportunities and a chance to kind of rethink our portfolio of personal real options and maybe in our portfolio of financial options as well. But I'm there. Yeah. 
I mean, oh my gosh, there are great fortunes made with every every downturn for sure. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so the other two, let's go through them very quickly. So there's do, uh, and obviously it's a risk. So how, what do you mean by do? Yeah. So do is uh, so. Let's face it. The best way to resolve uncertainty is to take action. But there are ways to take action that are better than others. And uh, again, we draw very heavily on the research on innovation entrepreneurship. And maybe let me share one tool with you. I used to your curiosity. It's called learning through the fog. So the way we think of the strategy about opportunities is we think about a landscape covered in fog. And the challenge is how do I blow away the fog to learn where the mountain is, the mountain of opportunity? Well, we can actually learn some principles from, say, how startup accelerators are run that we can actually in our individual lives or in our organizational lives. So let me pose a, a challenge, a thought problem to you. You want to create a new startup accelerator. Startup accelerators, for those who aren't as familiar, they basically take in a class of uh, entrepreneurs, nurture them for about three months for a small piece of equity, and then hope to launch them into successful big companies. Y Combinator, Techstars, these are some of the famous startup accelerators. So let's say you want to start a new one, but you have to make some tough choices. You're going to bring in this class of entrepreneurs. They're going to be there for three months. Part of the journey is that you want to expose them to customers, investors, mentors. Uh, but, but you know, three months is short. And do you, do you make those entrepreneurs talk to as many people as possible right up front or you spread it out over three months so they have the time to kind of absorb what's been said? So that's challenge number one. Make cram it all together up front so they're drinking out of a fire hose or spread it out. Challenge number two. Some of the people that they could talk to are unique, maybe even different from their industry. So do you make them only talk to people who are rel- that seem relevant to their job and their industry, or do you make them talk to people who maybe seem irrelevant? And third challenge is a lot of these folks might be competing. And so do you let the startups be in? stealth mode and keep what they're doing secret or do you make them present to each other those are tough questions without an obvious answer what do we find the best startup accelerators they number one force their their entrepreneurs to talk to as many people as possible as quickly as possible possible sometimes 200 people in a month number two they force them to share with each other and number three they force them to talk to everybody, including people that might not seem relevant. Why? Because the biggest danger under under uncertainty is what we could call premature certainty is there's so much going on. We lock onto what we think is the right thing and we go execute that. And talking to 200 people a month just shakes your cage and makes you like think about the world differently and keeps you from locking onto something prematurely. Sharing with other uh, competitors actually is some of the richest learning because they're solving similar problems to you. And you say, oh my gosh, you're wrestling with that too. How did you figure that out? And then number three, sometimes the most interesting insights come from places that are far afield. And one of my favorite, you know, kind of examples of this is that one of the accelerators platform charity and maybe religious organizations and on his schedule was the VP of marketing at Playboy. And this entrepreneur was like, no way, this guy represents everything that I'm against. But they said, no, you have to meet with him. And he met with the guy and it turns out 
VP of marketing at Playboy, who was a churchgoer who was wanting to leave, loved the platform, had all these ideas about how to like scale it up. And the entrepreneur walked out of that meeting saying that was one of the, that was maybe the best meeting I've had in the entire three months. So uh, just, uh, there are so many ways, including breaking things down into small experiments, being like cognitively flexible, meaning being willing to change your thinking as you go about it. But what I've shared with you is how do you learn through uncertainty quickly? Well, just talk to as many people as possible, talk to different people, talk to competitors, just get out there and blow that fog off that landscape as quickly as possible. Uh, again, very interesting. I think there's, there's a theme there we've seen in some of your earlier work as well in terms of speak to many people and you know come up with some creative ideas. Um, I certainly can uh, see that and that kind of gets you to go go out and take some action. So the final one is then is risk. Um, how, how do you see that? So the, the, final, the final category of tools um, we call sustain, and the, and the image we use to kind of fix it in your mind is the uh, coat of arms of the city of Paris, which uh, has a boat on this kind of turbulent water and the uh, Latin motto of uh, tossed, not sinking. And I think it's a, it's a nice metaphor because here you have this city of light, which refers to the enlightenment, but a city that's been through a great deal of trauma and turmoil, but has emerged nonetheless one of the you know, great, beautiful cities in the world. And, and the, the metaphor is important because here's the thing. Uh, the neuroscientific studies show that you will feel uncertainty, anxiety in the face of uncertainty. You are wired to feel that. That's normal. So how do you sustain yourself and your organization despite the fact that you're going to feel that uncertainty, that you're going to, you're going to face that. And, you know, uh, there's many ways to, to deal with that um, setbacks, you know, for example, are a big part of that. So like Ben Feringa, the gentleman who won the Nobel prize in chemistry, he said, you know, when a setback happens, I get angry, I get frustrated, but I just, you know, I, I let myself feel frustrated for a couple of days. And then I ask, what can I learn from it? That's one of the big frames for dealing with setbacks, asking, what can I learn from it? Another frame uh, that can just help you be calm and, and, and not beat yourself up is uh, the game frame. And, and that is a lot of the uh, innovators we studied. They said, you know, life's a game. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you can't win without playing the game. And part of playing the game is losing. And so, you know, some of us, you know, in terms of the investment world, you've had times we won and times we lost. And you should expect you're going to have times you lost as part of the game. And, you know, luckily you've gotten to win too. Um, another, another really important frame I will just share is uh, what we'll call like the gain frame or the gratitude frame, which is instead of focusing on what you've lost, you focus on what you still have. So a, a great uh, example, this was Lou Gehrig, who, um, you know, was one of the great baseball players who was struck down by LS and at his retirement, very rapid retirement. He said, you know, fans have been saying what a bad break I got, but I consider myself the luckiest person on the face of this earth. I've still got a lot to live for because I, because I got to play the game and, and I have a great life still. And, and, and I'll just share, you know, at a personal level, you know, for me, like the, the pandemic was, was very hard. Most of my income, all my income is really teaching and speaking. And that disappeared in five days time. Like it was gone. Like, you know, everything disappeared and, you know, have kids in university. Uh, you know, we, we just bought an apartment. Uh, and so I was really staying up late and getting up early cause I was really stressed out. 
And my co-author said to me, hey, if you can't use these tools to help yourself, you don't have skin in the game. You don't get to write this book. And uh, she was absolutely right. And so I remember one morning waking up. I'd woken up really early because I was stressed about going bankrupt and all this stuff. And and, uh, and I was in the kitchen. I was doing something. And I remembered, oh, yeah, focus on when you have a setback. What do I still have? Not what have I lost? And uh, immediately I noticed this I was grinding these coffee. I was in the middle of grinding these coffee beans. I hadn't even really noticed this going about things robotically. And suddenly I just, I just smelled it. And it was such a rich earthy smell. And then I noticed the sunlight was coming in slantwise across the kitchen. It was such a beautiful morning. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I could lose the university position. I could lose the apartment. I could, I could lose it all. And I would still have, this beautiful morning sunlight. I would still have this rich coffee beans. I would still have the relationships with the people I love. I still have all that. You know, I'd be okay if I lost it all. It'd be okay. And, and like the stress like fell off my shoulders as I applied that sustain tool. And, you know, of course we talk about many others, but I think the key here is use a combination of uh, rational thinking and an emotional hygiene, we could call it, like physical hygiene, emotional hygiene to take care of yourself and take care of your teams because setbacks are part of uncertainty. So, yeah. So just to summarize, you know, the four, the four categories of things to do. Number one, reframe the uncertainty from a source of loss to potential gain. Number two, prepare or prime in advance for it so you're more resilient when it happens. Number three, uh, Take action or do in ways that, you know, break things down to small experiments, test and learn, that that leads to a more likely, greater likelihood of a positive outcome. And number four, sustain yourself and your teams and the people around you as you face inevitable setbacks and challenges. Very, very wise. So how do companies, leaders, build that into their organizations? Uh, Great tools, great thought processes, but... How easy is it actually put in, put into practice? Yeah, so uh, number one, um, it starts with you as a leader. So this is why I'm here on a podcast that really focuses on like the investment, the economic world, talking in different terms. I'm talking to you, you as an individual, because it starts with you as a human being, learning to get comfortable with uncertainty, building your uncertainty ability is what we talked about. And, you know, great news is you have all been through uh, the pandemic. You're already, you've built that like a muscle and you can build that muscle so that you're more and more comfortable. And my guess is many of the folks listening, you're in a world where you've learned that risk and reward are tied. Uh, You know, I say it to my audiences as, uncertainty and possibility are really just two sides of the same coin. We can't get the possibility without going through the uncertainty. So when we can learn to see that, we're, we're a little braver, a little more courageous. So, so you know, developing your uncertainty ability as an individual leader is really important. And then I do believe we can coach this in our teams and organizations. Now, I will be honest with you, this is something that organizations are learning to do. So there's no like super, like, 50 great models we can pull the best practices from. But, I, but I've worked with many companies now. I've worked with, for example, firms and pharmaceuticals who are freaking out. Like, will 
big pharma X acquire us, will our therapeutic treatment work out? And all of that is like wasted energy on what if, what if, instead of like really productive energy on, let's see if we can get this therapeutic treatment to work. And if it doesn't work out, what skills and capabilities have we built that will lead to the next startup or the next job? And the way you see the world like helps you be very productive. And so I think we can coach teams and organizations by going through that same first aid cross for uncertainty and national level. So let's take the pharmaceutical companies example. How do we reframe the possibility that you know big company X doesn't acquire us in terms of the many opportunities that still remain? How do we prepare, thinking about our risk tolerances so that, you know, if it doesn't work out or if it does work out, we feel good. And part of that is saying, seeing that you have many landing strips, you can come down, you know, the therapeutic treatment we plan doesn't work out, but there's other therapeutic approaches. Or we built this incredible capability to test, learn, experiment. We did great work. You're going to get hired at the next uh, company you go talk to because of this great work you've done. So there's ways we can do and take action. Okay, so let's take this big thing. Let's break this down into some smaller experiments so we can figure out if we need to change course earlier. And then lastly, hey, let's sustain ourselves when experiment Y didn't prove the way we, we had hoped it would. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's acknowledge it didn't work. Let's acknowledge it's disappointing. And now let's like Ben Feringa ask, what can we learn from it? What's the next step? What could be we working on? So, so the same first aid cross I've talked about as individuals, we can use to shape and coach our teams to get focused on productive work rather than what they're really doing is they're going and they're looking, oh, can I get another job or should I get another job or all this like wasted energy, uh, literally both emotional and tactical energy that could be used to do good things. So uh, we're coming towards the uh, end of our time, uh, uh, Dave, has been absolutely fascinating. Um, and uh, just listening to you, I've, I've already started to make like a copious notes about what I should be changing, but uh, um, or, or thinking about. Um, so um, what is the one thing you hope um, the listeners of this podcast uh, can, can take away? The number one thing is maybe captured by word uh, transilience. Uh, this is a, an old word from the field of technology strategy which is really to describe when something leaps from one state to another, kind of a, a step function change or a, an order of magnitude change. And here's the idea of transilience. It's, it's, it's going beyond resilience. Resilience is being able to take a punch and stay standing. That's good. I, at a minimum, I hope we can develop that. But what I really hope for folks, for people, is that they can develop transilience, which is to say that, how, whenever uncertainty happens to me or whenever I'm in uncertainty, how can I let that make me stronger? And, and as I said, transilience is this leaping from one state to another. Imagine like when a pot of boiling water, when the water becomes steam. And you know this, when you have that moment where something is happening to you, you've had a setback and you are able to reframe it or you're able to take positive action and, you, and it like suddenly turns around in your heart and mind from this terrible, anxious thing to like, I'm moving forward. I'm going to make something good out of this, no matter what. I Something horrible happened to me, but you know what? I learned X and I'm going to hold on to that X. That's transilience. And so what I hope people take away, the question I hope they ask is whenever they face uncertainty to ask, how can 
I let this make me stronger? How can I use this to make me stronger and better? How do I be transilient? Very, very good word, transilient. So um, that's a word I actually hadn't heard before, but certainly makes a, makes a huge amount of sense. Um, the book is out uh, when, Nathan? It, it, it's out in on July 19th of 2022. So uh, we want people to know about this and use the tool. So we created a website called uncertaintypossibility.com. Remember the idea, uncertainty and possibility are two sides of the same coin. So you can go find out more about it there. And of course, we would be really grateful if people went out and bought the book and, and uh, you know, all the independent resellers and Amazon and others, uh, because really uh, the challenge of writing a book is you pour a lot of heart and soul and good ideas into it, but it, it's hard for people to find out about it. So I'd be really grateful if, if people uh, bought the book so that it helps others find out about it as well. Well, thanks uh, Nathan for that. That was a, uh uh, exceptionally interesting um, a lot we can learn from that a lot of tools there that we've uh, we've garnered and certainly that should help us you know get through these um, you know certainly challenging confusing uh, financial markets and uh, certainly there will be helping certainly me and the investment team navigate much better I'm absolutely sure of that uh, so uh, with that we'll end here and uh, we will bond next week actually with Joaquin Tool, who will be taking on the podcast host role uh, next week so we'll speak to you again soon <laughs>